strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We sure did just change directions, didn't we? I was all set to uh, rant and rave about the tweet that was sent out by the spokesperson, now the former spokesperson for Governor Hobbs. I want to read this statement. I, earlier in the show, we talked about this tweet, and it was a tweet that would have been horrible at any time, in my opinion, but the timing of it, and considering the facts of what happened in Nashville, Tennessee, was absolutely as tone deaf as it gets. And it was a picture of a woman holding two guns, and it said, us, when we see a transphobe. Now, it was a woman in Nashville that murdered three nine-year-olds and three adults. The timing of it was absolutely staggering. So as I said earlier this morning, I think the governor has to do something. Um, This is not just a member of staff that just thought it was funny and was wrong. This was your spokesperson. And I'm not someone that calls for someone's job. I'm not I'm not that kind of person. And I think that it, there would have been a way that if she would have immediately apologized and had some kind of an explanation of any kind that it may have blown over. But because she doubled down and locked her Twitter account and everything else, I, I just thought the governor had to do something. Well, the governor has. I'm going to read the statement, as Jeff just did a few moments ago. The officer of Governor Hobbs released the following statement. The governor does not condone violence in any form. This administration holds mutual respect at the forefront of how we engage with one another. The post by the press secretary is not reflective of the values of the administration. The governor has received and accepted the resignation of the press secretary. To the point. Now, let's get down to business. Or as the governor says, let's get to work. Um, The issue here is, in this case, the right thing was done. You cannot, you cannot be champions of ending hate speech and allow hate speech. You can't. And I, the governor did the right thing here. You've got to give her office credit. I again, I'm not someone that, that if this if this press secretary, and again, the fact that it's the press secretary is what makes this hilarious to me. I'm sorry, it makes it funny to me because it's usually the press secretary's job to. Run cover when other people who don't realize how things have to be said say the wrong things. They they make sure that things are clarified. So-and-so in the administration has said this, and the response from the press secretary is, let me clarify what was said earlier today. The White House press secretary does the same thing for the president. Let me clarify the stance on this. Let me explain where the governor's office is coming from. Their job is to understand the style book. Uh, if you don't know what the style book is, a style book in an organization is so that everybody is on the same uh, page with verbiage on how you will address a topic or a group of people. And so it's all consistent. Um, I don't have a style book. It's different. Our newsroom does. Um, and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's so that they all understand when you're addressing a topic or a group of people or whatever, there is a way that it's done appropriately. So she is the style book for the governor's office. She is the one that corrects those misinterpretations or when somebody misspeaks, she's the one that corrects it. She's the one that stepped in it this time. And here's the other issue. 
when you are an organization, I would assume, I'm not a journalist, I don't know, I've never sent a request to the press secretary at the governor's office, although we've done requests for interviews with the governor. Um, but when you request for comment, when you say, hey, does the governor have a comment on this? It goes through the press secretary. So you have those emails that go to the press secretary today asking about the lunacy of the tweet by the press secretary who doubled down. So uh, you can't – people are going to make mistakes. I worked for a company years ago um, that was a good company. The boss was a good man. Um, he, we were all good electricians. He was an honest guy. We had a good company going, and there was a service guy that worked with us. His name was Ron, who was kind of a crazy older guy. Um, and unfortunately, Ron got caught up in one of those buy-bust operations by the police department. He was buying crack cocaine, and he did it in a work van and got arrested on television wearing a company T-shirt. Not a good look for the entire company. The side of the van plastered all over the news in a little town in southwest Florida. Now, the boss had every reason to say, oh, my gosh, that's horrible publicity. But it wasn't the boss's fault. How could the boss possibly know that one of his guys, A, had a drug problem and B, was buying crack out of a work van? And so my point is. When you have a, when you are the head of an organization, you can't account for what everybody does, but you can handle it the right way when it happens. And in this case, you know, um, I'm going to have plenty of disagreements with the governor, but she did what she has to do, what she had to do here. She swiftly accepted that resignation. So you didn't wait a week. You know, this was handled, and this is the statement from the governor. Now. Will the governor answer questions on this? I don't know. And we would have differing opinions on what to do there. I would say if I were the governor, I would absolutely be out in front of this and I'd make a statement and then I'd be done with it. They put out a, they put out a written statement. Maybe they'll just be done with it. But this was absolutely a horrific thing to do. And what I laughed about this is I, I get upset about woke people anyway because they make me laugh. They really do. They are. And what makes me angry is the people that give them power because they have none. They have none. They're in the Twittersphere complaining, and most of them are anonymous. And they complain about someone, and they say they should be canceled, and people follow and cancel. She made a statement. I'm just. This is the, the former press secretary, um, and she was talking about people within her own party. Um, she said that if you work in, in the progressive community and are transphobic, you are not progressive. In other words, she gets to dictate what a real progressive is. So, I, you know, in my party, it's the rhino comment, a Republican in name only. There's a group of people um, as small and loud as they might be that believe that they get to dictate what a real Republican is. So you are a Republican in name only if you disagree with them on the issues that they believe you must agree with them on. And if you don't agree with them, you're not a real Republican. And it's been, you know, it's been made very, very public. <clears throat> this is the kind of stuff that goes on on both sides of the political aisle. The self-important people that believe that they get to dictate right and wrong, that you are absolutely, if you don't agree with me, you're not really one of us. 
Well, she's been knocked down a peg or two. Let's see how she responds. I'm anxious to see how she responds to this. Will she grow up from this? Would she admit her mistake and say, I made a horrible mistake and I got to make some changes? Or is she going to double down and find herself in a very small room of people, a hero with four or five people, and live in that world for the rest of her life? We'll find out as the days go on. In a moment... um, a very sad story at the border. 38 people dead in a Mexican facility. Did the guards abandon the inmates? One video says it looks like they did. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, how would you like to win a $100 Amazon gift card and show off your beautiful pets? Everybody has a pet that they love and thinks is the cutest ever. You can send us photos of your pet. You can win with the KTAR Paw Pick Contest. Submit your photo at KTAR.com slash contest. A different pet photo will be randomly drawn at the end of each month, and that pet will be named the KTAR Paw Pick Pet of the Month. Uh, 38 people died in this fire in Mexico. I want you to hear a little bit from an ABC News report on how the fire started. Mexican authorities investigating a massive fire at a migrant facility near the border that left at least 40 dead. Disturbing surveillance video being investigated by authorities appearing to show men locked inside a Ciudad Juarez detention center as the room fills with smoke. Mexican President López Obrador says they believe the fire was ignited Monday night by some of the migrants who feared deportation, saying the men propped mattresses against the shelter door and set them on fire. So there's two sides to this. I want you to hear a little bit more of this. You know, if you listen to the Mexican government, they are saying that migrants that were in this facility, this detention location, uh, which is a government location, um, that they were frustrated knowing that they were going to be deported. And so they themselves put mattresses up against some of the walls and lit them on fire. If you talk to, though, the migrants that are still standing outside that building, they are very upset and do not believe that this was at all the fault of the people inside, but rather the government. So the fire was started by inmates, but that doesn't mean that you walk away and let them burn. And that apparently from the video looks like exactly what happened. Um, The issues of what we are seeing now at the border are coming to a head. And it needs to be addressed by real leadership. And we need to have people that do more than lip service. Uh, You know, if you look at at who's leading on this, the answer is we've got Senator Sinema, and I think it's Cornyn from Texas. Uh, They are the people that are making moves to negotiate some kind of a relationship. It is mutually beneficial. Let's just talk about selfishly about our two countries. It is mutually beneficial for the United States and Mexico to resolve this issue. Forget the rest of the world. I know that's a horrible thing to say at this moment. But for our nation specifically, this issue has to be handled. And we don't see anybody doing anything. It's not just me that's saying this. 25% of Democrats want this president to run for reelection. Only 25%. That doesn't mean that they don't agree with the ideology. What they don't agree with is the effectiveness Because there is none. And we continue to hear excuses. I think from my perspective, this White House has got its priorities all out of whack. 
The number one issue for this administration is climate change. Um, the woke agenda is a part of it as well. And real leadership is needed when it comes to China and some of the other things that's going on. Um, we live in a border state. We all believe in a, I think, most Americans. I would say I'm in the majority when I say I want a robust immigration system that we can be proud of. We should be proud of our immigration system. We are where the world wants to come. And what we've done with this gift of being the destination for the world is we have messed it up so badly and we're doing nothing to fix it. We are not wrong when we say as a nation we choose who we invite in and who we don't. We reserve that right. Right now, the cartels are winning on every front when it comes to the border. They're winning on the border security issue. They're winning on the trade and revenue side. They're winning on the immigration side. They're, they're making money bringing people here illegally. They're making money by getting drugs imported into our country illegally. And the two of those combined are making up this huge border security issue that we have. And nothing is being done by our side. Nothing. We aren't doing anything with the Americans that are participating in human smuggling and drug smuggling. We aren't doing anything about uh, the chemicals that are being brought into Mexico from China to make this poison that's coming across our borders. And in this case here, you've got a facility where the inmates were so emboldened that they believe if they set mattresses on fire. Now, I'll tell you um, that I don't think there's a more gruesome way to die than in a fire. And it looks as if those guards locked the door and walked away and let people die inside that prison now or in that facility. I, I don't think I could have done that. But there are many people that are saying they set those mattresses on fire. They knew what they were getting themselves into. I, even if they did, I, you just, it's, a, it's a harsh reality for people. But this also typifies the problem. And... We are not, as a nation, I don't think, because our leadership represents us, I don't think that this is being taken as a serious enough issue. Uh, one of the things we are going to do in this hour, and I hope you'll hang around for it, and if you're able to, um, if not, you're going to want to listen on the podcast later. Dr. Michael Crow is going to join me. He is the president of Arizona State University. If you don't know who Dr. Crow is, uh, ASU has been credited so that's going to happen at the bottom of the hour. I'm giving you some notice to uh, put it in your alarm, or you can, if you download the KCR News app, you'll be notified when it happens. It'll be a great conversation with the president of the university because ASU is one of the forces that is being used, one of the examples that are being used of why businesses, industry should be coming here, and it seems to be working. But there are other things going on in education, higher education, and that's what I want to talk to Dr. Crow about as well. They are known as the most innovative uh, university in the country, maybe the world. And I want to talk to him about changes in education and what can be done for higher graduation rates, for better equipped students as they enter college so that they're not taking as many remedial courses. There's a lot to cover. We're going to do that at about 1045. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the environment because now not only is Arizona and our reservoirs full, the largest reservoir in California is full. We'll discuss it next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. One of my favorite topics um, is to talk about climate change, and the reason why is because I just think it's an unreasonable conversation from a lot of people. What I mean by that is the Greta Thunbergs of the world that have said and retweeted and had to delete a tweet that we have less than five years before our planet is too far gone, which we've been hearing since the 1970s. I appreciate when someone is thoughtful. And when somebody hears something, when they start hearing authority figures say this, I understand why they get freaked out about things. Um, Nature gave us a lifeline. Southern California refills its largest reservoir in dramatic fashion. Um, Following a series of winter storms that ease drought conditions across the state. Um, But here's where the problem lies. For the climate, for the people that are bent on climate change and that we have to change the industrialized world in order to save the planet, this is not good news. And it's not good news because it gives us a reprieve. Reasonable people look at this and say, A, we live in the desert. There's a reason why Arizona has done so well in storing water. There's a reason why we have done a great job with underwater storage and spending the money that we have because we realize that we live in a desert, that we get very little rain. And to keep and trap as much of that rain as we possibly can is an advantage for us. So we've done it. That's what a reasonable person does, that we are going to go through times of very little rain because we live in a desert and we are going to have drought conditions. It's like the people, and I've not been one of them when it comes to this particular topic, it's like people with money. There are people that I know that I admire that are very good with money, and they realize, you know, chances are I'm going to fall on hard times. Something's going to happen. You know, God forbid an illness, or I'm going to lose a job, or something's going to happen. So I better have some money set aside to live so I don't lose everything. And so they do just that. They have long-term savings. They have short-term savings. They have – they're smart with money, realizing that someday we're going to have to fall back on this. That's what reasonable people do. What the activists do is scream that the sky is falling, and they have been screaming it since the 1970s, and they've been wrong for the most part since the 1970s. If you go back and look at the predictions of how much time we have, we always have somewhere between 7 and 12 years, and if we don't make dramatic changes within 7 or 12 years, Florida's going to be underwater, we're going to have no more glaciers, we're going to have um, you know, uh, all, uh, Antarctica is going to be melted, the seas are going to take over the land, Uh, All of these things are going to be damaging. They can't get it right in a four or five month period. This is where I laugh at these kinds of stories because the climate activists have to be going crazy. Um, John Kerry recently defended all of the billionaires that are flying around on private jets. This is another thing. This is the other part of this that gets me. If you really believe, and I mean, I want you to think about this, and I know people that this has happened to. You get diagnosed with an illness, with a with, with something, cancer, something other, but they catch it early enough. And they say to you, you are very fortunate, blessed, however you see the world. You need to make some changes in your life because you've dodged a bullet this time. Those people make dramatic changes, dramatic changes, because they now see how absolutely critical it is. If these climate people really believe that the world was ending – Why would they be flying in private jets? 
you have to change how you live in your small little house. The way they cool and heat their houses and fly on private jets is, I just love the topic. I'm glad we got a reprieve. Coming up in a moment, uh, Dr. Michael Crow is going to join me from ASU. I like talking to Dr. Crow. I think he's one of the smartest people in the state of Arizona for sure and has turned ASU around. And it's one of the reasons I believe, and many do, that uh, because of education in the university system in Arizona and the changes that ASU has made specifically, we are seeing immense growth and investment in industry from around the world. So we'll have that conversation with Dr. Crow next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Really excited about this conversation. I talked to Danny Seiden from the um, from the Chamber of Commerce and Industry for the state of Arizona. We were talking about the immense growth, latest, uh, the huge investment in the East Valley in a battery plant. LG is making an investment. And we talked about the backstory of how these projects come to fruition. And one of the things he talked about is when selling these projects across the world and meeting internationally with leaders is part of the conversation is about workforce and making sure that the availability of a qualified and educated workforces there, pointing to ASU and the School of Engineering and others that are feeding these industries that are now coming to Arizona. So joining us to talk about that is the president of ASU, uh, Dr. Michael Crow. Dr. Crow, welcome back. How are you doing, Mike? Nice to hear from you. It's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this part of it first. Um, we've talked about this before. Your vision on, on innovation and change that has built some of the schools like engineering, where does that come from and where are you going? What's happening next at ASU? Yes, we decided some time ago, Mike, that we were going to turn uh, Arizona State University into the largest, most comprehensive, and most successful engineering school ever built. Most engineering schools are small, uh, focused. We decided to go to scale. We've got 30,000 students in engineering, and we're also going beyond engineering students themselves. We're going to technical courses for workers that want to work in these industries. So we just decided to be of greatest service by scaling excellence to the highest possible level. And so are you, do you believe you've accomplished that, or what is next? Like, are you, are you still working on that and growing in that direction? No, we're still working on it. We launched a new advanced manufacturing school on the, on our Mesa campus, on the what we call the Polytechnic campus in East Mesa. And we're announcing today, in fact, I'm on my way to the West Campus right now, a new engineering school on the West Campus that will focus on integrated systems engineering and, and uh, technology development. Uh, we've got, uh, we're going to grow engineering probably to 40,000 students, give or take. We're going to advance new ways to make things happen. But I think more important than any of this, Mike, is that we found ways to teach uh, the calculus that's necessary for engineering to anybody that wants to be an engineer. So you don't have to be a calculus master anymore. We'll make you a calculus master because of the robots that we built. So when you uh, when there's this huge investment by Intel, which has been here for generations in Arizona, but the huge investment in the East Valley, this new battery plant, the chip plant in the Northwest Valley, is it that they know you're going to be providing a workforce that leads it that way, or do you grow in size because those industries are coming here? No, no, we, we, we were working ahead of this. We were in anticipation years ago. Uh, leaders in Phoenix said that one of the things that Phoenix needed was a world-class scaled engineering school beyond anything that existed in Silicon Valley or Boston or in these other places. So we had to build a research-grade engineering school with fabulous engineering faculty members who were discoverers and researchers as well as teachers and then grow that at scale using technology to make things happen. So we've been at this for about 10 years and one of the fruits of this then is that we can then be competitive in the placement of any high technology 
industry requires uh, large numbers of technically trained people. Dr. Michael Crow is joining us. He is the president of Arizona State University. Let's talk about the other end of the scale. Um, I talk often about how far behind we are in K through 12 education with getting people to read at grade level and it, it is stifling their chances for success like you offer. Are you still seeing a high number of students entering college that need remedial classes in order to get to college level courses? And if so, what what do you think can be done about it? Well, first, I mean, you're right by focusing your attention on K-12. We have a we have a failure to uh, innovate, a failure to adapt, a failure to accept responsibility. Uh, we have all kinds of things that are going on. So, you know, we're running K-12 schools ourselves where nearly every student graduates. We've built tools, devices. We're working with lots of school districts. Those that want to innovate are seeing acceleration in their outcomes. We're not seeing kids that are coming that are unprepared uh, in, in, in a traditional sense. We are seeing students that are coming that need better better training to do more complicated things. And so we've built hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tools that allow learning to be greatly enhanced. That's what I mean by innovation. So we found new ways to innovate, and that's that's been very successful for us. And now we're trying to drive that into the K-12 community also. When you look at the uh, graduation rates, I, I, I was reading a couple of stories, and I wish I wanted to call you and ask you questions about it, because there was a story about some universities that are actually saying that they may get rid of grading in order to get a more successful rate of graduation, which in my, my layman's mind says we're not going to have the requirements and hold it to a high standard for graduation. Is that the case in what they're doing, and what do you think of that, that way of doing things? It's, it's a bad idea. We have to have people attain certain levels of understanding. You have to be able to assess that. Therefore, you have to be able to, quote, unquote, grade it. We've accepted too many people getting C, D, C's, D's, and F's and dropping out. We need to stop that. We need to get everybody up to a level of high attainment, and you need grading mechanisms to be able to know where you are on that. You absolutely – anything that's sort of dumbing down the system is, uh, is, is an error. When you look at the success that ASU has had with the Cronkite School, and we are such beneficiaries of that here at KTAR with so many of those students uh, coming here as interns and then coming and becoming in leadership here. But you've also got your your school of business and now the engineering school. What are some of the other areas that you think you can stand out in and be specialized in where people say, I was in New York City doing some stuff with CNN, and uh, one of the people on the panel said, oh, my gosh, you guys have the Cronkite School there. This was New York, and how much you stand out. Where else are you going to stand out at ASU? Well, we, we've decided to take sort of the crazy path, which is that if we're going to have a school of any type whatsoever in any subject, it's going to be among the best. It will either be the best or among the best. And that's the way that we're approaching all of these things. So we have 20 colleges. We have 150 departments or schools. Uh, all of them are highly competitive. Those that are not as competitive as we would like, we're trying to make them even more competitive. So we decided that if we're going to have egalitarian kids from every family background to the university, they're going to have access to outstanding schools. And then we have just relentlessly been focused on this. Cronkite is an example. This school is called the Carey School. It's an unbelievable school, top 25 school, 20,000 students. But we've also got tremendous programs. Our English department is unbelievable. Our our uh, programs that we have in art and music are unbelievable. And so if we're going to do it, we're going to do it well. So the last thing I'd like to ask you about then is cost. Uh, how do you manage that? How is it managed where you can keep tuition reasonable for the in-state students and uh, so with that people still can afford to go at all levels and at the same time offer that world-class education? 
Well, we've built a model that we call a public enterprise model for a university as opposed to a public bureaucracy or a public agency. The people of Arizona have allowed us to be entrepreneurial, creative. We're leveraging all of our assets. We're using technologies to lower our costs, which then allows us to keep our price low. We're using tools to generate more learners that are coming in at a lower expense to us online, allowing us to build a margin to help us to fund the overall university itself. So it's basically Arizona allowing us to be unbelievably creative in how we run the university, which is how we do it. Dr. Crow, you know how much I like talking to you about this stuff. I, I think that uh, that it is the changes you have made in the 28 years that I've been here to ASU have been remarkable. And I love to see the direction that you are going. And I'd love to have you back more often. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Anytime you need anything, let me know. Just give me a call and I'll be back anytime you would like me to come. All right. I appreciate that. That is Dr. Michael Crow, University, uh, Arizona State University president. Um, just about what's happening. This conversation started. I, I am a capitalist. In my heart, that's what I am. I think that to be competitive, uh, you have to hire the best. In order to hire the best, you got to pay the best. But if you want to be the best, you've got to surround yourself with people that are better than you to grow. And what ASU has done, when I moved here, ASU was known as a big party school. And um, and it wasn't exactly what a university wanted to be, but that's what they were known for. And I've been here for 28 years and the changes at ASU, and I will tell you the biggest thing for me is working with people, I consider them a lot, you know, they are a lot younger than me, but young people that are graduating of the Cronkite School and seeing how capable they are, how good they are at such young ages. And I think that's a testament uh, to uh, how great that school is. And it's expanded. Danny Seiden from the Chamber of Commerce and Industry was, was talking about the engineering school specifically. So great things happening in Arizona. We may talk to some of the other universities throughout the state as well and what they are doing. But always, it's always great to catch up with Dr. Crow. Coming up just after 11 o'clock. Um, we are going to talk about the zone, the problem of homelessness in Arizona. Do you realize how high we are on the list of states that have homeless people? It is becoming a much bigger problem here in the state of Arizona, and it's one we have to address. The zone is just one issue, but we'll talk more about all of it next.